Let me recap on last week. Um, we've got a bigger board in this room, so I, it was kind of squidgy last week, wasn't it? All kind of crammed in. So um, here are the main divine covenants, okay? So God took oaths in all of these, with all of these covenants, okay? And you can identify the oaths that he took. I mean, if I point to these things, you should be able to tell me what the oaths are, okay? Joshua, shall we try it? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Noahic covenant. Come on, you know what that one is, surely. What's the Noahic covenant, folks? Okay, so, hold on, where's my colour? Can we see, let's see if we can see orange, okay? Okay. So, no, oh, oh dear. No, can't see. No, can't see. You can't see that, can you? Can you do it as a wedge instead of a tip? Yeah, no flood. Okay, can you see that? So, no flood. Abraham, there are three things. Okay. Uh, land is one of them. On blessing on who? Okay, land, descendants, or seed, and what's the other one? Blessing. Blessing of those that bless you. On nations. Okay, that that is there, but these things, although. Um, that's Genesis 12, 3. And although in Genesis 12, that's not the covenant itself, all of these three things can be found in covenant settings in chapter 15, 17, 22, and so on. Okay? Now, it's also in that there's, there's a, a promise to Abraham himself, but these are the main uh, things. That doesn't look right to me. Descend, is it descendants? E-N-T-S. E-N-T-S, isn't it? Is that right? Descend. What? Descend. It's because I haven't got a D. I've missed a D. You see, when you're up close like this. Okay. That's what's wrong, isn't it? Descend. And now, is it, is it A or E? It's D A N T S. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Yeah. So there's the Abrahamic. Okay, so the Mosaic. Okay. Yeah, that's a bunch of stuff in Genesis, uh, sorry, Exodus 20 through 24. And then there's, of course, in Deuteronomy, a whole bunch more. But it's basically an expansion of that. Okay, so we can put this under, under law. Okay. And then the priestly one, what's that? It's ironic. It's, it, is a, it's, it is ironic, that's correct. But as a particular strain, Phineas, that's right. Okay, so that's Phineas. Um, I'm going to have to write descendants again. <laughs> 
There we go. And then Davidic, obviously, is the, the kingdom, yes? Okay. With the, with the throne, yeah? So, uh, actually, I should put, just for clarification here, dynasty. Okay, now also added to this is the fact that the Mosaic Covenant here, okay, is bilateral. Which, of course, means, as you know, bi means two, yes? Mm -hmm. means that both parties, God and Israel, uh, enter into vows or pledges or oaths about keeping that covenant. Now, because it's bilateral and because one side, i.e. the people of Israel, but anybody else too, <laughs> can't keep the law, then the Mosaic covenant is temporary and it has to be replaced. Okay? Uh, now, Look, if, if uh, people had kept the Mosaic law, these two are under, in a sense of in the time period, they're under the uh, era of the law, are they not? Okay? So, with these two, they could be fulfilled if just people had simply keep the law. That would be an easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> but they, they, not one of them could do it. <clears throat> and then the Abrahamic one, you know, which goes into this, um, because all of these, in a sense, are, are also recapitulated in the Mosaic Law. <coughs> um, so they could just keep them, if they kept the Mosaic Law, then that would bring the Abrahamic Covenant also into fulfillment. So the, the means of fulfillment for these covenants is this, which is a problem. As you can see, so... You might as well say that none of them have the means of their own fulfilment within them. Okay, so here's the, here's the dilemma. The dilemma is God has made oaths to do particular things. The oaths must mean what they say. You don't take oaths and mean something else because then you're misleading people when you're making the oath. The whole point of making an oath is to... Uh, as it says in, in uh, Hebrews 6, is to end all argument. Okay? This is what the issue is about. Okay? So, um, then there needs to be, if, if these are going to be fulfilled by God, and he's not kind of making a promise he knows he doesn't have to fulfill, which we don't believe about God, and uh, you know, he's, he's not in the habit of doing vain and silly things like that, then there needs to be another means of fulfillment. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. All right. So kind of that's where we are. Um, so what, what happens then is that these covenants, they kind of meet... 
um, in a sense, they kind of bounce back on each other. Okay, this is to signify hitting and bouncing back. I suppose I could put an arrow underneath, but I can't bother to do that. Going backwards, so they're kind of they're not pushing past the law. Okay, the law condemns sinners. Bam, you're, you're it. You don't qualify. God cannot fulfill these covenants unless, of course, he wants the promised kingdom and so on to be just like earth is right now. But then, if if he does that, then his promises actually can't come true. <laughs> Do you see? Because uh, included in these promises... Uh, have got, there's got to be a, a, an environment, an atmosphere where these things are actually possible. There it's possible for da- uh, you know a, a, a son of David to reign on the throne in perpetuity in righteousness. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's your there's your problem. Okay, that's the problem that's got to be solved. But it's you see how it's it's nicely set up. Let's have a look. <coughs> Uh, before we go into how God solves it, <clears throat> let's have a look at uh, how how these things can can turn out. Okay, so we'll do this, and if you just track these with me, okay, we'll stick these back up here. Uh, now, we're not going to put the mosaic up here, are we? Okay? But there are aspects. So, we're going to put this aspects of the law. Aspects of the mosaic covenant. Because they're righteous and they're universal things. Okay? God's never going to put up with idols, for example. <laughs> you see? That are included over here. Do you see? So when he says, I'm going to write my law in their hearts and so on, that, it's got that kind of thing included here. yeah, Ten Commandments and so on. And then the priestly. And then the Davidic. All right. So... Help me then. How do these things look in in their fulfilment? What what are the expectations that are raised by God making these covenants in the first place? Uh, I'm going to leave this aside, okay? But the Abrahamic, how's that going to look? He's going back in their land. Okay. Well, that's good. That's two of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you've got. Uh, Israel, okay, in its land, and they've got blessing for the nations of the world. Okay, they actually do do receive blessing. Okay, so that's how this works out in a perfect world. 
this we can just kind of put here and uh, it means that conformity to you know God's holiness or righteousness yes um, this one what does this one look like they are Levitical priests okay so you have a uh, uh, Levitical and we can put it this way they're in two we know from, from Ezekiel 40 4, 5, 6 we know that uh, there are both Levitic they're, they're, sorry there are Zadokian priests and other Levites and they're divided into what they do as far as the ministration of the Ezekiel temple there okay so you have an, a, a Levitical priesthood okay who are righteous Now, if you've got the Levitical priesthood, what do you need? Okay, you do. You do need a temple, don't you? Okay. And then you've got the Davidic, which, of course, is um, a righteous king and kingdom. Okay, so you have uh, you have that kind of a picture, all right? Can you see that? Okay, that's where we need to get to. This is what God has promised, but we can't get there. Now, the temptation is this: because we can't get there. Um, and because the law is given to Israel, Israel can't keep the law, therefore they can't have the priesthood and they can't have the uh, Davidic throne, literal throne in the land over in Jerusalem, over the, uh, so on. That means that that affects this <coughs> land, the literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Okay? That, that kind of uh, is snuffed out, at least to, a, to many people in uh, church history they they say well this has taken a nosedive as far as the Israel the, the ethnic Israel is concerned okay it can't be fulfilled we can't get over here now it might be that people in the Old Testament expected this because of the oaths that God took okay oaths create expectations yes but now we know better than that all right. Um, so, um, what we what we have therefore is something like this. Let's portray it like this. The Davidic, somewhat, although they're going to try to rescue that one, and the Abrahamic, somewhat, as far as the land. Okay, and the descendants, well, okay, that's going to be the same fate. Okay. 
All right? That's in the rubbish heap. For, for many people, for many Christians. I mean, this is, this is just the way they're, they're going to interpret it. So, so, that means that we're going to have to fill this space with something else. Okay? It's okay, though. Because we have the cross. All right? All right. So, with the cross, we have Jesus. Of course. (laughs) Jesus, the Son of God, um, dies for our sins. And he is the son of David. So, he has rights to the throne. Okay? And he keeps the law. And he's the son of Abraham, of course. You know, this is the two main things in, in Matthew's prologue. You know, the boring bit that you never read. Okay? Read it, because it, he, he says, you know, son of David, son of Abraham. Okay? Those two things. Calling to, uh, to mind these two covenants. And uh, the idea is this. That, all right, no future for national Israel, but we have this entity, which I'll picture like this. Okay, that's a church building. (laughs) Yes? All right. Because all churches look like that. (laughs) Church buildings. So, uh, So, you have the church, all right? Now, the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Why do I highlight Gentiles? It's us and also there's a great many more Gentiles than Jews in the church. Okay? Yes? So... And of course, if you are using the language of Paul, if you are in the church, okay, so you're a Christian, you are in Christ, are you not? Okay? And uh, the church is, uh, is the temple. Do you need the references on this? Okay, First Corinthians and so on. It's all straightforward stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know that the the church is his body, which is. Uh, so we'll just put some uh, the language here. His body, temple. Okay. So you got the temple there already. Okay, Jesus in. Uh, in fact, you can turn there. I think it's, it's John 1. Sometimes it's either John 1 or John 2. I don't know. I, I keep flicking to this passage and I can never remember which chapter it's in. You know, where, um, where they threaten to... Yeah, it is. Chapter 2, verse 19. <coughs> Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You see that? Then the Jews said, 
it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Okay, Favorite go-to text for those people that are going to be teaching us the stuff that I'm uh, teaching you now, which I don't agree with when I'm teaching it to you. Um, so, what was that? That was John 2, 19 through 21. All right, so there you go. All right. Now, if we take this scenario, then what we have is that because Jesus, where is he? There. Because Jesus is the son of David, then that kind of kinda fulfills the Davidic covenant. Do you see? Because there's a link there. And because he's brought blessing on the nations, okay, because the nations are made up of Gentiles, yes? And there's some Jews in the church too. And they're in, in him, who is the son of Abraham, then I hope that you can see that, uh, you know, you might say that we're children of Abraham. In fact, Paul does do that in Galatians 3. Look at Galatians 3:16 through 21. And it says that we're children of Abraham. All right. So, you know, that kind of does that too. And, um, you know, he keeps the law. So we're good there. And he's our high priest, isn't he? According to Hebrews, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, you know, he's our priest, so there's a kind of a link there. We don't need this priesthood anymore, Levitical priesthood. Okay? Because we've got, a, we've got him as our high priest. And we don't need an actual throne in Jerusalem anymore over a national Israel. Okay? Because um, they love to go to, to Romans 4.13. He, he's, he rules the whole world. Okay? And uh, because we don't need that, we don't need the land or the descendants thing, because we're all children of God in Christ. Do you see? So we're spiritual descendants of Abraham. So the only thing that needs to be carried through is this one, which has been, which has been carried through. All right? So we're good to go, aren't we? We're good to go. But, you know, there's, another, there's something else then. What about over here? What do we do with this? We have to change this, don't we? If we if we buy into this scenario, don't we have to change this? Of course we do. Um, I want another colour. What colour should I have? Green. Well, purple's not very purpley. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yes. So. Yes, it's it's not. It does. It's not exactly. So, alright, so Israel, okay, becomes the church. Okay, the land becomes the world, which doesn't have an H in it. Okay, blessing for the nations, well, yeah, in the, you know, this is it, so we don't need to add to that. Conformity to holiness, well, that's fine. We, we're going to have that. Yes? The Levitical priesthood, 
uh, a righteous priesthood and a temple. Well, Jesus is the temple. The church is the temple. So, Jesus is our high priest. Can I say HP? Okay. And temple. Okay. And then the righteous king, well, Jesus is reigning now. Okay. Because he's our... He's our king. He's king over the church. They, they, and always will be. Okay? So, Jesus is king over the church. All right. So what do you think of that? That's not what God said. Isn't that, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? (laughs) You see, because this is not, this is not what is expected. That's the problem. That's the problem. This is not what is expected. Do you remember way back in lesson two, I think it was, where I gave you the amillennial interpretation, I, I gave you that, uh, or read out for you, uh, that story, that little illustration by Strimple, which uh, was about the, the father who promised his son he would get him some wheels. Okay, And lo and behold, instead of getting a motorbike, he got a Ferrari. Well, the expectation was to get a motorbike, but he got more than his expectation. And the point that Strimple was making there was, well, here we are, you know, here's God promising this stuff, but we get more. We get more than, than what was expected, you see. Of course, you know, there's a real sleight of hand going on with Strimple's example, because God doesn't promise obtuse things like wheels. He promises land. He promises literal descendants. He even gets very particular with Abraham in Genesis 17 when Abraham says, you know, can't it be in, through Ishmael? And God says, no. But through Isaac. My covenant will be through Isaac. Okay? He gets really particular about that. Um, you know, the... the um, promise to Phineas, you see, was why did God do that, you know? Did God just get carried away with enthusiasm and and start saying things he didn't mean to say? Why did he go entering into a uh, committing himself to an everlasting covenant with Phineas's descendants for goodness sake, you know? I mean, doesn't he know how he's going to end up? Doesn't he know that he's going to spiritualize the priesthood later on? We're all going to be priests. Yeah? Because we'll be priests, we're priests unto God too, you know. And, uh, you know, the expectation here was, was uh, a Davidic king in Jerusalem over Israel in the land allotted in, in Genesis 15. Alright, so there's, there's the expectation, and yet we come over here and we, we you know, the breaks go on and you know, the the uh, picture goes fuzzy for a while and it's like 
Wait, 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 wait. Okay? This is not what you promised. If you'd have promised this, great. But you didn't. This is not what the covenant's about. The covenant's supposed to end all uh, you know, disagreements. But here we've got a bunch of disagreements, don't we? Because it, it, if, if this green stuff is true, then God was using ambiguous language. Yeah? Well, you can't, you can't enter a covenant using ambiguous language. Um, for example, in Genesis 21, <coughs> what do we do with this? Um, look at verse 22 it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol the commander of his army spoke to Abram saying God is with you in all that you do now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with with me with my offspring or with my posterity but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. That's an oath. Do you see? So, um, and, and there's, there's even a token of the covenant later on here. This, this is a covenant. Look at verse 27. All right? Yeah? Well, well, according to, to the rules of the game, if we're playing this, this green game here, okay, Abraham could have maybe uh, sworn the covenant, you know, taken the oath, killed the oxen, or accepted the oxen, oh, well, not the oxen, but the ewe lambs, thank you, uh, and then he gave sheep and oxen to Abimelech, and made the pledge, and then a few days later gone and killed a bunch of uh, Abimelech's men. Couldn't he? And if Abimelech had said, hold on, the expectation was, okay, that you wouldn't do that. Abraham could have said, could have said yeah, I know, but, but, but I've changed the ex- expectation, do you see? I was using ambiguous terminology when I said that. When I said that I wouldn't kill all of them, you know, I meant all generically. I mean, you've got a whole bunch more, haven't you? Okay, I just killed a few of them. Yeah? So when I said all, when I swore about I won't kill all of them, what I intended was I'm not going to kill the majority of them. But I do intend to kill a bunch of them. Do you see, it doesn't work you, because Abimelech's gone away with a false expectation and who's given, given him the false expectation? Abraham. Do you see? Folks, if we'd have read that Abraham did that, we would condemn him. We're going to let God off the hook? God doesn't want to be let off the hook, folks. Mm -hmm. 
Okay? This is God's righteousness, his holiness, his character, his truth, rectitude, veracity, whatever, on the line here. It's the same thing. God does not use ambiguous terminology. He means what he says. All right? So, we have to rescue, find a way of rescuing this nosedive here, don't we? Because this, in, this is really important to what God has promised. So, how do we do it? All right? Um, and, of course, the... Uh, they say, uh, and, and rightly, they say that uh, the new covenant, which I haven't spoken about yet, uh, comes about through Jesus. All right, so they they do speak about the new covenant. Right, so you, you get this picture, yes? All right. So let's get rid of this picture. Okay. We'll go back to this uh, in a minute. And what we're going to do is we're going to resuscitate Israel as a nation so that what is here matches what's here. So we're going to take this out of the way. Only because, you know, some of of the language that I've used here can actually be included in the expectation, but it just it's not inclusive enough. And uh, we'll deal with the church in Israel, uh, Lord willing, next week. Alright, so we do have Jesus, and, we, and he's died on the cross and he's risen again. Uh, pictured by this. So it was, you know, right. Alright. So, here's another scenario then. Okay? As we saw, uh, go to, go to, uh, Isaiah 49 as we saw a new covenant has been promised and the new covenant remember uh, Jeremiah 31 is a covenant of salvation it's a covenant that, that implants a new heart and a new spirit of righteousness in the people yeah it's even spoken of in Deuteronomy 30. It's, it's, it's there in Ezekiel 36. It's, it's all over in not always called the New Covenant, but you have this, this oath that God takes to redeem his people. And it's certainly there in, in uh, Jeremiah 31 through 34. 31, 31 through 34. Um, so, we have to have a right conception of the new covenant. Let's try orange again. Okay? Alright, so. Didn't quite reach. <laughs> new covenant, okay? That's bridging the gap here. Okay? And it's also busting through this. So it's taking care of all of this stuff that I should use a border rubber to get rid of. 
Okay, so And we'll deal with no I promise you. <laughs> um, so here's the new covenant, all right? The new covenant, as we saw, uh, to use theological parlance, is soteriological, from soteria, which means to save, or, you know, salvation. And so it is salvific. It has to do with, with saving the soul. Now, you can either have, be saved through this means, which means you're not going to be saved, or you can be saved through this means. Okay? Which means you are going to be saved. Now, I have to qualify this because there's, still, there's some disagreement uh, on this, but, but I'm just making that point right now. Um, I could put it this way. You're either saved through the law or you're saved through receiving Jesus as your saviour. Okay. So Isaiah 49. <coughs> excuse me. Look at verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Okay? And if you look at um, verse 6, indeed he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. There's Israel, yeah, as a nation. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation. Yeah? to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel. You see that? So this is salvific, that what we're talking about here. But notice what's involved in this. Notice in verse 8 it says, you're a covenant to restore the earth. Alright? Now, if you'll go down a little bit, go to verse 11, for example, I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Verse 13, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his affliction. On his, his afflicted, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> chapter 52, verse 1, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. But she's going to be redeemed. Yeah? So, um, what we have here in chapter 49, you see the same thing in chapter 42 as well. The servant is called a covenant. Okay? The servant is called a covenant. Are you looking in verse 8? Just in case you think I'm not telling you the truth. 
<coughs> and this is messianic. I mean, this is this is definitely the Lord Jesus that's being spoken of here. Chapter forty-two. Verse 6, I the Lord have called you in righteousness, I, I will hold your hand, I will give you, and uh, sorry, keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Okay? Uh, so, the servant is Jesus, yeah, chapter 53, and the servant is the covenant. And God has promised in Jeremiah 31, but in other places too, as we saw, that he's going to make a covenant, but it's not one of these covenants. Okay? This covenant that he's going to provide will... um, Where is it? Um, Plus a salvation... Covenant. Okay? So from the point of view of when these were made, they know, and up to the time of and after of Jeremiah, that a salvation covenant is going to be made. Now, if the people with whom these covenants are redeemed, okay, are made, sorry, are redeemed, okay, then there's nothing stopping this from happening. Do you see? Do you see? If you don't see, tell me. I'm going to give you a minute here. Okay? We'll let the grasshoppers chirp for a little bit. (laughs) Has the light come on? No? Not yet? Okay. I'll keep chattering then. (coughs) Um... The scenario, the expectation is that this stuff, okay, grows out of the promises that were made here. Yes? So this is what the expectation is. And I'll even write it up here so that you... Think in these terms. Okay? The expectation is this. All right. God means what he says, so these expectations will come through, but they can't come through if people don't get saved. Okay? Unless, well, you see, if, if, if people, if God tries the experiment of bringing all these things to pass on, on unsaved people, everyone goes to hell. Yeah? This doesn't work. It's a failed experiment. Don't even try it. Yeah? Because the things that he's promised, the blessings he's promised, are not going to come about. Because God won't be blessing people or be punishing them for, for their sin. He'll be apart from them. Yes? They will still be in an unrepentant state. So what has to happen for this to come through? People have to be saved. All right? So... Deuteronomy 30, let's just uh, remind ourselves here. (coughs) Deuteronomy 30, 
verse 4 through verse 6. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Jesus refers to that. (coughs) It's a new covenant passage, even though it's not called the new covenant until Jeremiah, do you see? But it's salvific, yes? Uh, Ezekiel 36. Well, Jeremiah 31, not since I'm, I opened my page there. <coughs> Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, verse 31, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. as the Mosaic covenant. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Yeah? Does that, that matches uh, Deuteronomy 30, yes? Notice there's a new covenant that replaces the old covenant. Yeah? And in Ezekiel 36... Verse uh, 24, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. That's what Deuteronomy 30 promised too. Now there's context to that. These are prophetical verses. Then, now notice when he's, when he's bringing them back, he's going to cleanse them, which didn't happen in 1948. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Blah, blah, blah. Yes? So that's the salvation. And it's it's connected to a covenant. And from Jeremiah, we find out the name of the covenant, and it's this, it's the new covenant. Alright? Replacing this covenant. So this one, now, we've introduced the new, this one, goes, yes? Okay, what's your problem? <laughs> God do away with a covenant? Because it's a unilateral covenant. It's a bilateral covenant. Oh, okay. You're talking about the Mosaic. The Mosaic covenant oh, okay. sorry, is a bilateral covenant. Okay. Do you see? Okay. All right. No, I should have crossed out. I should have crossed out this. Okay. Okay. Good catch. Right. All right. <laughs> <Okay>. <coughs> All right. So, because this is why, as a Christian... 
you are not under the law. Do you understand that? Because if you were under the law, you'd be under this covenant. But this covenant has been replaced by this covenant. Does that make sense? Alright. And the covenant is a person, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, and the person is Jesus, who is the Messiah. Yes, and he's the only one who can bring salvation. So obviously, he's got to be the covenant. Now, um, as we contemplate Jesus being the covenant, we might think, hold on a minute, that's, that's different, that's, that's weird. How can Jesus himself be the covenant? I mean, hasn't there got to be some kind of agreement? Okay, but, but look, when you believe the gospel, which is a message, okay, which is if you believe, you will be saved, okay, there's, there's the oath, isn't it? Isn't that the oath? Yeah? So, um, what we can put here is that the oath is um, believe. Hold on. In Jesus, for uh, salvation from sin. Yeah, that's what that's what's promised. Yes. So, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. There's the oath of the, of the covenant right there. Okay? Israel rejected. You know, this was not what they were, they were taught. They were taught that, that Messiah is coming and you're to believe in him. Okay? But, he, but Jesus offered salvation, did he not? Mm-hmm. Believe in me mm-hmm. and you know, out of you will come rivers of living water and so on you shall have everlasting life didn't he promise that Mm -hmm. so he was offering himself in those covenant terms do you see he was offering salvation under the terms of this covenant he couldn't do it under this covenant because it's like work your way to heaven instead of come to me but you see right in the middle of this oath is Jesus do you see that? Mm-hmm. And he's, he's really in the middle of it because he's not just in the middle of the message. He is the one who dies. It's through his blood that we are redeemed. He's the mediator of the new covenant. Do you see that? He is the new covenant. Mm-hmm. It's his blood. It's his body that's broken. And so when you take communion, yeah, the body and the blood, okay? This is the blood of the new covenant. That's what we say when we take communion, folks. Well, whose blood is it? It's not an animal's blood, it's Jesus' blood. Do you see? He is the covenant, folks. 
That's what I'm saying. Just like Jeremiah, sorry, not Jeremiah, Isaiah says. He's the covenant that brings salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, look at these again. We, uh, oh, I want another color here. Okay, so how many of these have got to do with the nation of Israel? This one? Yes. Okay, so two out of three have got to do with Israel, yeah? This one? Okay, priestly one? Yes. Davidic one? Yes. Okay? But they don't believe him. Yeah, Romans 11, we've not got there yet. We'll get there soon. But they won't believe him. They rejected him and they still reject him. Some Jews are saved, but not most of them. The nation rejects Christ, Jesus as the, as the Christ. Okay? So that means those Jews that have accepted Jesus have entered into the new covenant, yes? Yes as well as those Gentiles that have entered into the new covenant through Jesus, they've been saved too. Yeah? So they can expect whatever it is on this list here is for them. But Israel itself is still rejecting Christ. Okay, when... Let's go to Zechariah. What's going to happen to them? Chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad-Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. Okay. Uh, look at chapter 13, verse 1. In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Do you see? Alright, when's that going to be? Well, it was it at the first coming? No, because they didn't they pierced him in the first coming, <laughs> yes. When will they look on him whom they pierced? Well, the book of Revelation tells you. Okay, yes. Yeah. When he comes again. And so, when does Israel enter into the new covenant? At the second coming. And so, that's why you find in uh, the setting of Jeremiah... 
and so on, you find these uh, these uh, chapters of blessing for uh, for Jerusalem, but they're mixed in with when the king is reigning in righteousness. Same as you find the same thing in uh, in Isaiah two and uh, eleven nine. Um, 64, go to Isaiah 64. Uh, 60 is another one. In fact, let's. Um, <clears throat> which one should I choose? Let's, let's go to uh, 62, actually. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as, a, as brightness. Zion, Jerusalem, is going to be saved. And her salvation burns as a lamp burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be, crown, be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married, and so on. The Lord will rejoice over you. Okay? So, um, this is this is not first coming fulfillment; it's second coming fulfillment. Now, folks, people back in Isaiah's day may have thought this will happen when Messiah sh- when Messiah shows up, but that's because the first and second comings are fused together in the Old Testament. Okay, but in actual fact, because of the rejection of Jesus, they're not fused together. They are separated, although it's one work. We're waiting for the second part to come. So, because Jesus has come, those, and and the gospel goes out, there isn't a big vacuum in time, okay, where everybody between the time of these promises and the fulfillment is just lost until God decides to make the new covenant with Israel. Yeah? They are saved. And the new people of God, the church, which wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, okay, is a new thing, and we'll we'll study that, fills this space, both Jews and Gentiles, and they believe in Jesus who is the new covenant. Do you see? So we celebrate the new covenant. Israel, according to Jeremiah 31, and the context of that, okay, we'll stick it up here. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The second coming Okay, when they enter into that. Now, 
once Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom of righteousness and peace, okay, what's stopping the literal fulfillment of any of these? Nothing, because the people are saved. There's no barrier. Now do you get it? Okay. I'm looking at all of you. <laughs> giving you the stare. Okay, so so you you see that in this scenario, you see, this is the way it ends up. God's covenant oaths mean exactly what they say. The expectations will be fulfilled. Just as this expectation will be fulfilled. Alright? Now, <coughs> along with this, there's certain th- things that we can expect if we've trusted in Jesus as as uh, Christians, all right, as, uh, within the body of Christ, the church. One of them is a glorified body, for example. Yeah, Philippians chapter 3, at the end there. And um, uh, I suppose mansions in heaven and, you know, stuff like that. And there's a bunch of stuff that we're not told about, really. Mm-hmm. New Jerusalem. You know, there's a bunch of stuff we're not, there's not as much detail given to us as there is to, uh, to Israel and the, uh, the new kingdom. So there's this, there's to me is the right scenario. Alright? And that makes sense, does it not? Mm-hmm. Everything fits together in that. So, uh, as long as you remember Jesus is the new covenant, and you've got to go through Jesus to be saved, then you're good. You say, well, what happened about the, with those people that died before Jesus showed up? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, well, their uh, righteousness, like Abraham and David and people like that, Noah, okay, their sins are forgiven on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. Okay? But the content of their Faith is not in Jesus and his death on the cross because they didn't know anything about Jesus and dying on a Roman cross. Okay? But the message in, for example, uh, Genesis 15.6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. What did he believe? That Jesus died on the cross? No. Look up in the air. Look at the stars. So shall your descendants be. That's what he believed. So it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, that in itself didn't wash away his sins, but the credit for him believing what he could believe was given to him. And then when Jesus died, do you see? Cleansed his sins. All right. Of course, after afterwards, uh, if there are any, um, well, there are, <laughs> but afterwards, of course, you you know what the message is. Okay. So, are we good? Can we move on? Yes. All right. Can I ask a question? Yes, yes, yes. So, <coughs> there's people that we believe this, but there's still some that want to do some of this with that. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. What, but what are you talking about so in particular? Why, how do we help those people? Well, you don't. Mm. You don't because mm. they just don't. They think this is ridiculous. Okay, they think that that 
um, this is naive. This is ridiculous, ridiculously literalistic. It's very naive. It's like, I mean, stop, stop uh, plunging your head in the Old Testament. Read the New Testament and understand that the church is, is now the new Israel in Jesus. And, and that you have to interpret the Old Testament by the New Testament in order to get the green bits that I rubbed out. You see? And that's, you, you just can't, you can't get them to see because they're just, they've trained themselves to think that way. Um, here's my view of that, okay? Some Christians, a lot of Christians, um, they, they read a passage of scripture and they say, ah, I've got it. Oh, that must mean this. Okay, Ephesians 2. I'll give you an example. And off they go, creating doctrines by deduction. Okay? Alright, so Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead, necros, in trespasses and sins. Okay, the, the word that's used there, necros, okay? Dead. Dead, 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 dead. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God has saved us. Verse 5. But we were dead. Alright. Got it. So we're dead before we've received Christ. Okay, so if we're dead, dead people can't believe. So if a dead person can't believe, but you have to believe uh, in Christ, obviously God has to do something, make you alive before you can believe. Okay? You, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, so, so that means that you're born again and then you can believe. See what I did? I just, just deduced. I read dead and I can run off to John 11 for you for uh, an analogy if you want because Lazarus was dead. But the voice of Jesus was still heard by Lazarus and he arose, do you see? And analogously, uh, the Spirit comes to us and regenerates us and we believe. You say, where's the biblical... But, but, but you know, John 11, that's not talking about salvation. That's talking about Jesus raising a corpse from the dead and he dies again. But it's not talking about salvation at all, justification or anything like that, is it? Ephesians 2 is talking about salvation, 
But it also says we walked. I mean, we lived and so on. Yeah, we uh, according to Romans one, we were we were we knew the truth, but we rejected it. We suppressed it, held it down. All right. So we weren't dead like Lazarus was dead, you know. And if you'd, you'd have done a EKG or whatever on Lazarus's brain, you'd have got nothing. Okay? You do it on unsaved people's brains and it's a hive of activi- activity. Alright? Rejecting God every second. It's different. So, what what they do is that they read something and then they start deducing. Ah, that must mean this. That must mean this. John 2. Jesus is the temple. The temple's his body. We're in the church. We're in his body. Do you see? Oh, well, that must mean, okay, that we're the new Israel. And as I said, uh, if we're the new Israel and he's the high priest, then we don't need this literal fulfillments anymore because it's all fulfilled through the church who are the one people of God. And just to make sure that that's solidified, we make up some covenants down here. But they're not any of these. We make up the covenant of redemption. Okay, do you remember that one? God made it with himself. Okay, to save, covenanted with the Son and the Spirit to save the elect. Okay, well if he's covenanting to, to save the elect, that means there's the one elect, one people of God. That means there can't be the church in Israel, you see. So that does away with church Israel, two peoples of God scenarios, for a start. Because there's only one people of God, the church. You see that? See how they've done away with that completely by making up a covenant that's not even in the Bible. It does fortify the deduction I've just given you. Yeah? We're in his body with the temple of God and so on and so forth. Um, Yeah? And uh, then you have the covenant of works and you have the covenant of grace and we're in the covenant of grace. Do you see? And again, one people of God. It's the umbrella covenant that covers all of the people of God, uh, a.k.a. the church. So, Israel, you see, how, what, do you do, what do you do with Israel? Israel becomes a type. Israel becomes a type of the church. Alright? And the land becomes a type either of heaven or the whole earth. So, what they do is that, and you find them doing this, is terribly annoying. Okay? Uh, you, you say, well, what about that? As type. What about that? As type. What about that? As a type. Okay? Everything is a type. Ezekiel's temple. Ezekiel 40 through 48. It's a type. What about the Zadokites? Type. What of? Not sure. Type, though. Okay. What about the rivers coming from the temple? I already get wrote, uh, read this to you, didn't I? The rivers come from Ezekiel's temple, and they're coming down, and and uh, Ezekiel's at his ankles, and then he's at his thighs, and then the water covers his head, and the river goes out. That's a type. Everything's a type, guys. 
That's how you do away with the literal promises of God. You turn them all into types. So that uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Do you see? Everything ends up teaching what you want it to teach. It doesn't teach what it says, but if you just turn it all into a type, it, it, it can um, go into lockstep and make sure that it's subordinate to your wishes. I know that, you know, they wouldn't like me saying that at all. But basically that's what's happening because it's deduction. You say, but they're deducting from the, from the scriptures. No, they're deducting from their interpretation of the scriptures. It's not actually what the scriptures are saying. This is what the scriptures are saying. This is why this is safe. Okay? Anything that, that doesn't that comes over here and doesn't look like this, you've got a misinterpretation somewhere. Do you see? Go back and match up your expectations with these. These are about big, big things. So if you're coming out the other end and you've got the church as Israel, you better go back again. Uh, Another thing. In the Isaiah passages, it is true that uh, the servant is Israel and the servant is also Jesus. Okay? And um, in Hosea, let's go to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. You see that? Out of Egypt I called my son. Well, Matthew quotes that and says it's fulfilled with Jesus, yes? Okay, well, if he's talking about Israel there, and Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is Israel, okay, and therefore, if you're in Jesus, you must be Israel, because he's Israel. And so the church is Israel. (laughs) You see how they do it? But it's wrong thinking, folks, as we'll see uh, probably next week, because uh, we're going to do Israel in the New Testament. We're going to go a l- into a lot of passages in, in the New Testament. And we'll see Israel means Israel. Okay? But, um, yeah, Jesus can represent Israel, but notice in the Isaiah 49 passage, verse 6, that the servant who is Israel redeems Israel and also the Gentiles. So he doesn't do away with the nation of Israel, he redeems them. And they are particularly set off from the Gentiles. Do you see? And then the land is spoken about. So the covenants are in view literally in the Isaiah passages, which means the expectation doesn't change. 
So yes, you're in Jesus, but being in Jesus doesn't mean you're in Israel. Why? Because Jesus is a representative of Israel because he's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and of David. But if you're not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you're related to Jesus, but you're not you're not Israel. You are related to Abraham through this part, Galatians 3. Yeah? So you gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta pick your way through. Let's, uh, are we good with this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want me, I'll keep it up for the time being. Um, now, further to this, by the way, go please to the book of Numbers, chapter 24. This is one of the oracles of Balaam. And uh, I have to quickly find it here. Not verse 15. No, I'm not. Oh dear, where is it? Just one second here. Let me see if I can find it. Got the wrong Bible. Oh yeah. Uh, Verse uh, 23, sorry. It's 23. Look at uh, verse 21. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. This is a, uh, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. So it's pretty hard to curse, get God to curse Israel if God's looking, 23, and Numbers 23. It's hard to get God to curse Israel if God has this opinion of Israel. But this is, remember, a prophecy, do you see? The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them. Do you have different translation than that? Out of Egypt. Verse 22. God brings them. It can be translated God brings him out of Israel. And it is perfectly possible that Hosea is alluding to that, and Matthew knew that. Okay, so in quoting the Hosea passage, uh, he's also referring to the, the earlier prophecy of Balaam. A uh, scholar by the name of John Salehammer uh, writes about that, I think quite convincingly. <coughs> now, um, 
what was I supposed to be doing? <laughs> um, oh yes, oh yes. So, Romans. First three chapters of Romans tell us that we're all in trouble. Okay? Chapter 4 introduces justification by faith. So, let's have a quick read here. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh... For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's Genesis 15.6. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as, as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And there's there's a quotation there. And then it goes on. um, Does this righteousness, does it come about through, did it come to Abraham after he was circumcised or before? Before he was circumcised. Okay, he was circumcised chapter 17. Alright, so... uh, Look at verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay. What is the subject that Paul is dealing with in Romans 4? Saved by grace. Salvation, isn't he? That's what he's talking about. Is he talking about the land? No. But you see, when they see the word world there, they read land. Because it's a proof text for them. Okay? Oh, you see, he's going to be the heir of the world. Therefore, it's not just the land of Israel. That's That's a type of the whole world. But he's not talking about the land here. He's talking about you know, people. You're not talking about a location or, or the planet. He's talking about the people on it. So, that's a misuse of that text, but that's one of their proof texts. You see that? Romans 2. Verse 27. Verse 26. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? He's still uncircumcised. Do you see? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise 
is not from men, but from God. So here's a proof text for them that, oh, you see, well, I'm a Gentile, but I've been circumcised uh, internally, and they go to Colossians, and rightly, they go to Colossians uh, for that, chapter 2, verse 11. And um, they say, well, that means I'm a spiritual Jew. But Paul is talking to unsaved Jews. And he's saying, look, you're a, you're a proper Jew if you're an inward Jew, not just the outward, Mark. Do you see? He's saying, be a true Jew. Okay? You've been, yeah, you've been circumcised outwardly, so you're, you're part of the Mosaic covenant in that sense. But in order to get in the new covenant, you've got to believe in Jesus. Okay? So that the circumcision, which is an outward sign, actually has its reality in your being born again. Yeah? He's talking to Jews. He's not talking to Gentiles. He's not saying Gentiles can be spiritual Jews. He's saying if you're a Jew, you need to believe in Jesus. Just like the Gentiles do. Alright? Okay. Um, Romans chapter 9 <coughs> I tell the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. All right. <laughs> so this is another proof text. Okay. Well, they're not all Israel that are of Israel, which means they say it's not their Jewishness that counts. If they believed in Jesus, then they're spiritual Israel, and they're included in Israel just as Jews, are, you know, are also part of that. So the church is a, is the new Israel. But notice what part of the covenant is being quoted. In your seed, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Genesis 21, 12. And also uh, uh, 17 in there too. Actually, more importantly, 17 actually. Um, Isaac. Isaac. We're not children of Isaac, folks. But Jews are. And Isaac, that's the distinguishing marker for Jewishness. Okay? Not Ishmael, but Isaac. Okay? So it's particular. It's got to be Isaac. And from that line, and his son Jacob, 
and his sons. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay? And a Jew is a, is one who is related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. We're not related to the patriarchs. We're related to one patriarch, but not genetically. I mean, apart from through Noah. Uh, but not in the, the descendants of him. We're related to him spiritually because we have come to salvation in the same way he did. He's the model for us. Okay? So we're children of Abraham in the sense that we, he believed before us. And it was accounted to him for righteousness, and so we, so do we. Yeah? So we're Abraham's seed in that way, Galatians 3. Okay? But they use that as a proof text. Okay? So do you get the idea? They go to these passages and they, they're looking for any text to prove their already made up theology. They haven't, um, they haven't come across these texts and interpreted them in their contexts, okay? Or rather, they haven't looked at them and said, ah, it could mean this and maybe it means this. What fits best with what the Bible teaches elsewhere? Instead, they've, they've looked for a proof text and there's, ah, yeah, there's one and there's one. And you've got a couple of these texts which really don't prove what they say they prove, but they, they uh, really depend on them. Galatians 6.16 is another one, okay, which we looked at and we'll look at again. All right. So, any questions on that? So, what do people who... don't follow the clear understanding of the covenants and their fulfillments. What do they do with Israel then? Because Israel will never be saved and God's promise was to them. <coughs> the church is Israel. Okay. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> it's a spiritual Israel. God made it to people. Okay, well then God's all through with the nation of Israel. And he's okay mm-hmm. with just sending them all to hell. Well, if you're a, you can be a, remember I said with, with our millennialism, that many our millennialists believe that at the end of the age, many Jews will turn to Christ and then come be included in the church. But there's only one body, there's only one way into salvation, that's through the church. Okay? So, any Jew has to be in the church because the church is the true Israel. Being in the nation of Israel is nothing. Okay, because there's no, there's no salvation in the nation of Israel. Remember, did the, does the nose dive? Which is why we, we had to change what went on over here. Yeah? Because if you, if you make the nation of Israel do a nose dive and you, reassign Israel to Jesus and the church, then you have to change this stuff too. There's no need for a temple, a literal temple, and Levitical priests and stuff. So you have to make these something different. Jesus is the temple. The church is the temple. You know, we're priests. I know that we're not Levites, but that's okay. We'll just fudge on that a little bit. Yeah? That's what happens. The land becomes the whole earth. Israel's the church. And away you go. 
That's what happens. Okay. So a little bit more before uh, I send you home. The expectation here, okay, comes under this basic idea. The idea of the kingdom. Alright. Now, all of these covenants, okay, their fulfillment is a kingdom fulfillment. In order to have the kingdom, who do you need? The king, alright? Is Jesus reigning now? Is he the king? Okay? Well, they tried to make him king, didn't they? What did he do? He didn't accept it. In fact, he said right at the end of his life to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would fight. Alright? Now, if his kingdom is not of this world, does that mean that he'll never reign on the world, on the planet? No. It doesn't mean that because he's talking about this present evil world, this history. Okay? His second coming is the thing that, that does away with the kingdoms. You know, Daniel 2. Yeah? And establishes a different world on this planet. A different, completely different kingdom. Alright, so the kingdom is future in this scenario. You link it to this and what we've looked at, then this kingdom must be in the future. Okay? It cannot be here and it cannot be in the church and it cannot be anywhere else. Alright? Because it's linked to the covenants and the covenants are not fulfilled until over here. That's a simple way of saying it. But, if you mess with this, then you can have Jesus reigning over the church because the church is Israel. Do you see? If you go to Colossians chapter 1 <coughs> you have this passage. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there you go, we're in the kingdom now. But notice this, notice this, go one verse in front. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Ah, now that's future, isn't it? So I think the inheritance of the saints in light is the same as the kingdom in the next verse, which means this is pushed into the future, which does this. Alright, what about Luke 17, though? Isn't that a troublesome passage? Because in Luke 17, verse 20, it says this, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, 
he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, okay. Well, we've received Jesus as our saviour, and he's the king, which means the kingdom of God's within you. It's a spiritual kingdom. That, if you come up with that, that means you're ignoring the context of the gospel. Okay? Because Jesus is saying, I'm the king. You should believe in me. You should accept me. If you accept me, okay, and my offer, then I will indeed rule. But they didn't accept him. See, when it says within you, it means in your midst. I'm right in front of you. The kingdom is here. I instantiate it. I'm the king. I'm the guy that brings the whole shooting max to fulfillment. I'm the new covenant. I bring the whole thing together. Do you see? Yeah? So this is future, folks. Why is it future? Because they rejected him. And because he's gone. And, folks, this is not... It's not difficult if we pay attention to what Luke is saying. Go to chapter 19, verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Well, it has appeared immediately. If you take the, uh, the wrong interpretation of chapter 17, but if you make it future, then the nobleman goes into a far country to receive a kingdom to himself. Who's that nobleman? It's Jesus, folks. And he's going to come back. And when he comes back, okay, these people who say, we won't have him to reign over us, he was there in the midst. Yes, the kingdom's in your midst. They rejected him. We won't have him reign over us. When he comes back, he's going to deal with them. Do you see how it fits? So the kingdom is future, and it has to be future, because of the scenario that we've already worked out in, in some detail tonight. We're looking for the expectations of those things to be fulfilled over here. And when they're fulfilled, that's after the second coming of Jesus and the kingdom era. The king and the, and the kingdom uh, come together. That, that's why there can be no instantiation of the kingdom even here, because they reject him. If they'd have accepted him, we can say that there would have been an instantiation. Just as we can say, if a person who ends up going to hell, if they'd have received Jesus, they would have been saved. Yeah? Mm -hmm. There's contingency there going on, even though in the mind of God, he knows what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Acts chapter 1. Verse 6, 
Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, Well, the church is Israel, you fools. (laughs) A spiritual Israel, and it's a kingdom, you know, the kingdom's within you. No, he doesn't say that, does he? In fact, he doesn't say anything to contradict their expectation. All he says is, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He answers their question, no, I'm not going to do it now, and it's not for you to know when. There's the Hennebury paraphrase there. The Calvin paraphrase is, you dolts, you stupid idiots, um, don't you know that the church is the spiritual Israel, and the kingdom's already come? Calvin, a great man, and so on, has some deductive theology that he's reading into his passage. Uh, you see? Rather than taking his theology out of what is actually said. That's sometimes an uncomfortable process, because guess what? The Bible doesn't always have to meet your what you think it should meet. Okay, It can, it can throw up uh, problems for you. Look, this one's a problem, isn't it? Does some of you have a problem with this one? Temple and Levitical priesthood going on in the, in the coming kingdom. Well, isn't, I mean, Jesus is the final sacrifice. I mean, haven't you read the book of Hebrews? Okay? I mean, they, they offered priests, uh, you know, blood of bulls and goats. So, you know, it's all done, isn't it? Oh, folks, <laughs> that's not my problem, is it? That's not my problem. That's God's problem. Okay, My duty is to believe God, not to answer every question on behalf of God. I'm not on the staff of heaven as his spokesperson. Okay, I'm just trying to figure it out the same as everybody else is. And what I can't figure out I don't try and deduce something which goes against what he says. I just let the problem lie like that. And I, I just believe that God will sort it out. <coughs> so that's, um, that's where we are with that. Alright. Any questions before we, uh, we stop tonight? Okay, one more thing to say. It will take me less than five minutes, I think. Um, Well, I have two things to say. But it's going to take me just very briefly. First thing, so I'm going to talk about the New Covenant and I'm going to talk about the the Mediatorial Kingdom. Okay? Alright, since we're on the Kingdom thing, the Mediatorial Kingdom, okay is that the, the kingdom is supposed to have been kind of coming all the way from the time of the fall. Alright? It's supposed to have been coming. And you're supposed to see it, you know, the land promised to Abraham and uh, um, in uh, the uh, land being promised and the king under the Mosaic Covenant and the, and the Davidic Covenant and stuff like that. And then Jesus in his first coming, coming offers the kingdom, Yeah? The gospel of the kingdoms being preached. 
All right, so for those who have accepted him, then the mediatorial kingdom will be set up. Why is it called mediatorial? Well, because it's mediated, uh, particularly by the mediator who is Jesus, and it ends up here. I, there are some great books on that. Um, uh, the Greatness of the Kingdom by Alvin McLean is a great book, and then uh, Michael Vlach's book, um, He Will Reign Forever, is also very good on that. And they, they are very big on this claim. And I respect these guys a lot. Uh, I just disagree with them. I just disagree with them. Because um, really, this scenario doesn't allow for repeated views of the kingdom. And, and so on. the kingdom's the future, folks. It's, it's, it's over here. It's second coming of Christ stuff. Okay, it's all, it's the goal. Now they would agree. They would agree. But I don't think, for that reason, I don't think it's the main theme of scripture. And they do. Um, why don't I think it's the main theme? Because that's where everything's ending up. It's because of, um, the world, which is taken up in the Noahic covenant, okay? I did say I'd say something about the Noahic Covenant, but it's made with the whole world and the plants and the animals and, and, you know, everything. And that's all going to be renewed over here. So that's creation, isn't it? It's much bigger than just the kingdom for Israel or the, you know. it's, It's also the creation. And so I think it's the renewal of creation, which is the kingdom, I understand. But that's the big thing. Alright? That's the big thing, which I think makes sense more of it than than kind of trying to track the kingdom. Because you try and track the kingdom in Genesis, folks, you're going to be disappointed. Because it's not there. Even the word king, Malachi, I think is only used once. So... Um, it, you know, it's just it's just not a big thing in the Pentateuch at all, unless it's projected into the future. But Genesis it covers several thousand years of the world's history. So for several thousand years of the world's history, according to the Book of Genesis, the kingdom's not a big deal. It's not the main thing people are thinking about. Do you see? But according to uh, the early chapters of Genesis, there is a redemption of sorts when the seed of the woman overcomes the serpent. And that, just in in short parlance, that affects the creation because remember Adam is rooted to the creation. Dust you are, to dust you will return. In fact, the name Adam means ground, dirt. Okay? So, the idea is that there's going to be a, a regeneration of the whole earth, which is what Jesus talks about in, in Matthew 19. When the regeneration happens, okay? That's the whole of creation, which goes back to... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? 
So there's that bit. And we've got to go on, we've got to talk more about that. The second bit is this. There are dispensationalists and dispensational theology, they have all kinds of problem with the new covenant. And the problem is because they say Jeremiah 31 is written to Israel. Okay, it's not written to the church. So the new covenant's made with Israel. Okay, well what they're doing, you see, they're focusing on dispensations. And they're saying the dispensation, you see, Jeremiah was under the law and he was looking forward to another dispensation past the dispensation of the church. Well, they're right, but I don't care about dispensations because dispensations don't tell you anything. They don't, you know, you can get stuck if you're just focusing on dispensations. Stop focusing on dispensations. I mentioned until now, focus on the covenants. The covenants clarify the picture for you. The new covenant's one of the covenants. Okay, it's needed in order for this part of the Abrahamic covenant to come to fruition. It does start to come to fruition in a big way in the church, which includes Gentiles. And so, we celebrate the new covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul preaches the new covenant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, We're ambassadors of the new covenant, he says. It's not a problem, folks. It's just that Jeremiah is speaking to Israel. He doesn't know anything about the church. But there's... There's future revelation that says that it's for the church as well. Why is it for the church? Because Jesus is the new covenant. It's not difficult. I really have a problem with uh, dispensationalists who say the new covenant's not made with the church. Of course it is. It's made with the church, okay, between the first and second comings. It's made with Israel at the second coming. What's the problem? There isn't a problem. I just don't get it. I don't see it. So, again, that's another reason that I'm, I don't focus on the dispensations because they, I think they, they, they're not good for looking at what you should be looking at. You should be focusing on the covenants and when you focus on the covenants you realise that Jesus is the covenant and that we've entered into... Uh, these, are, these are the tokens of the covenant when we're taking the Lord's Supper which represents him because he's the covenant do you see? problem solved folks it's not a problem just don't get tangled up in dispensations they can confuse your theology alrighty